We are wrapping up before Christmas, our series that we've been in since the beginning of November. I don't know about anybody else, but it's felt like we've been here for a while, but yet it looked, feels like it flew by, and now we're done. Some of you are probably like, yay, we're done. Move on. Get to something else. Um, so we are wrapping up our series that we've been in for a while, and then Christmas Eve is the culmination of everything we've been building towards. Um, and today we are looking at Mary. And I have to say, in all the reading and all the studying, I've looked at Mary extensively throughout my time. But for some reason, this week, as I read and I studied, she just stood out differently. I have just new, profound respect for the mother of our Savior. And I'm, I'm very careful in choosing, um, if you look online, it says Mary, mother of Jesus. Um, some traditions call her the mother of God. Not quite comfortable going that far um, because there's some other things that happen when you start calling Mary the mother of God. Um, but she is the mother of Jesus. She is the promised virgin to bring the Savior into the world. And so um, <laughs> they're having fun. It's good. It's good. <laughs> Anyways, so we're looking at Mary. We're in Luke chapter 1. If you got your Bible, you can go there. We're in verse 26. If you don't have your Bible, it is on the screen, both in-house and online. So here we go. Verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. So Luke kind of sets up the story, right? And he repeats something we looked at last week. Joseph is a descendant of King David, so he's got royalty in his blood. That's significant about what Gabriel's about to say about Jesus. Um, we're in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so she's getting along. Um, and the angel appears and says, Greetings, Favored woman. Quite a greeting for this young woman. And I don't know about anybody else, but I thought oops, I thought God didn't have favorites. I thought God didn't pick people above others. I thought, like, we read this, right? We read it in James, read it all throughout Scripture. I thought God didn't have favorites. So why does Gabriel come down and say, greetings, favored woman? Because it sure seems like Gabriel is showing favoritism to young Mary. And I mean, from our perspective, that makes a lot of sense. This is the woman who's going to bring Jesus into the world. She's got to be, God obviously looks kindly on her, set her apart from every other woman to do something that no other woman will ever do in all of history. But God is not showing favoritism. And Gabriel is not insinuating that Mary is somehow done something that sets her apart from everybody else. This, this greeting, greetings favored woman, the Greek used here in greetings favored is only used one other time in all of scripture. It's used in Ephesians 1.6 and Paul does not say gr favorite, greetings favored, he says glorious grace. And I think we need to keep that in mind is that Gabriel is not saying, oh, you're the favorite, oh, you're set apart, oh, you're special above everybody else. But he's like, you are the recipient of glorious 
grace. You get received a gift that nobody else will ever receive. And remember, when we talk about grace, the definition of grace is literally unmerited favor. And so Gabriel is not saying that you're God's favorite, God loves you more than everybody else, and, and you're just going to... No, you are the recipient, not by anything you've done, but simply because God has chosen you above all else to receive this gift that nobody else is ever going to receive, and it's going to seem like it's set you apart. And that's how God's favor in our life is supposed to look. It's supposed to look like God's got favorites. It's supposed to look like God has set us apart and is blessing us. Because he is. At least he should be. God's favor looks like, God's grace looks like favoritism. God's grace looks like because it is special. It is exceptional. And so it is a grace that we all receive. It's just that Mary has this even greater grace in the fact that she gets to bring the Savior into the world. She is the woman of prophecy. She is the woman of promise. And she is, it looks like favoritism, but it's really not. It's just a grace that she's been given. And it's the same grace that each and every one of us has been given as we declare Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But more importantly, when we talk, when we think about how we have all received grace and God's mercy is new every morning, I want you to really hear the second part of Gabriel's greeting because I think some of us really need to hear this this morning. God is with you. Because there's some of us, I, I know it, as I was preparing and I was praying, I could feel it. There's people here and there's people online and there's people in Redverse who are struggling right now and it feels like God is far away and that life is not going your way and it just feels like life is piling up against you and you need to know and you need to believe and you need to hold on to the fact that God is with you. God is never far away. God never abandons you. God is with you. God is walking with you. He goes before you in everything. No matter what's going on, God is with you. God dwells within you. He is walking with you. He is speaking to you. You are not alone. And if that's all you needed to hear this morning, then that's all you needed to hear this morning. But, you know, there's more. Trust me, don't tune out just yet. But God is with you. And he's with you in a way that is undeniable, and we just need to trust that that is never changing. God is with you. Continuing on, verse 29, confused and disturbed. Good response from Mary. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, really important thing. This is one of the reasons that Mary kind of stands out to me. That first, in verse 29, it doesn't say that Mary is confused and disturbed because the angel appeared. Two weeks ago, we saw Zechariah see the angel, same angel, Zechariah saw Gabriel, and he just loses it. Like, ah, there's an angel in front of me. Like, just goes by. Mary's like, eh, it's an angel. Like, do you hang out with angels on a regular basis that this is not what's bothering you? 
It's not the angel. It's the what he says that bothers her, disturbs her, confuses her. Excuse me? Favored woman? What? Justified response. That's quite a greeting to receive from an angelic being that appears before you. And, and, and I... And, I wish I had a really good answer why. I don't know why. I don't know why Gabriel appearing doesn't freak Mary out. It's the words of the angel that freaks her out. But she's just like, yeah, God sent angels before. Just the lucky one, I guess. Hi, angel. But why did you just call me favored? Why did you just greet me the way you did? Why did you use those words? And Gabriel goes on and he explains that you are going to bring the Savior. You're going to have the Son. He's going to be great. He's going to be king over Israel. His reign will never end. Just lays it all out. Fortunate are you to bring this Son, to bring this man in the world. You're going to name him Jesus. And then we get to the next part. Mary again, justified response. Mary asks the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Good question. Right? Like, that's not a dumb question to ask. Um, there's a, typically a process here, Gabriel. I don't know if you know this, but there's a, we're missing a step. Like, how is this going to happen? And Gabriel goes on, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of the Lord will never fail. I want you to hold on to that. The word of the Lord will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Now, I want to rewind two weeks ago. And I want to compare Zechariah and Mary in this moment because Zechariah asked the angel how this was going to happen, and he ended up not being able to speak for the duration of his wife's pregnancy. Mary questions, and he just gets this, and she just gets this simple, nice little explanation. What's going on? Did Gabriel get a talking to? You can't just keep taking people's voice away. Like, you can't do that. Like, is that what happened? Is Gabriel showing favoritism because Zechariah's old, he should know better, and, and Mary's the, the mother of Jesus, so, you know, I can't take her voice away, can't punish her, so we'll just, you know, I'll just explain and open. And what's going on here is that it's two very different responses. Zechariah sees Gabriel, hears he's going to have a kid, and Zechariah says, how can I know this? Now, it doesn't seem like a significant response, but what is Zechariah saying? Zechariah wants a sign. He wants proof. Gabriel, you realize that it's not impossible, it's just improbable that my wife and I in my old age are going to have a baby. So I want a sign. I want proof that this is going to happen. And just like the Pharisees that were all around Jesus, and just like the people of the Old Testament, would often ask for a sign, and God would often give them a sign they didn't want. Zechariah got his sign. You want a sign that you're going to have a baby? You're going to be mute until your son arrives. That's not what I wanted. That was not what I was going for, Gabriel. Well, you got your sign. How can I know this? What's my sign? What's my proof? Mary's response, however, is how will this be? She's not asking for proof. She's not asking for a sign. She just wants an explanation. 
Like I said, there's a process to having babies. And we're missing a step, Gabriel. So how is this going to come about? And so Gabriel, because of her obedience, because of her humility, doesn't punish her for questioning. He's just like, well, here, I will explain this to you. I think the other big thing is that for Zechariah and Elizabeth, it was improbable, but not impossible. They're just in their old age, but it's not impossible to happen. Mary is impossible. Without God, this is not going to happen. So she needs to be like, can you explain something here? Because I'm missing an important point. The other thing I want us to key in on is that verse 28. Uh, most Bibles, most translations, read verse 28 as nothing is impossible with God. So Gabriel's explaining to Mary that she's, a, as a virgin, she's going to have a baby. And he says nothing is impossible with God. But that's not what we read. In the New Living Translation, it says God's will, God's word, will never fail. That seems like a stark difference. How in the world do most translations end with nothing is impossible but the guys at the NLT said, no, actually, God's word will never fail. How did we get there? And I'm not going to explain how we got there and what the difference is, but I am going to explain there's a big difference when it comes to the way we practice our faith when it comes to this. The first one is 100% true. Nothing is impossible with God. And we talked about a couple weeks ago about how some of us have been praying for what seems to be an impossible situation, that God will bring healing, God will bring restoration, God will, he, will bring relationship back together, or God will make something right that's been wrong, or whatever it is. And we've been praying for it for a long time, and we know in our heart that if God doesn't move, it's not going to happen. We know that nothing is impossible with God, and we need to keep believing that. We need to hold on to that truth. Because it's the foundation of everything we believe in God's word. God does impossible things all the time. And if he did it here, he can do it in your life. And so we need to hold on to that. We need to keep praying like God can do the impossible. But the NLT, I really like this when it comes to the way we pray for impossible situations. Because the question I have for you is, whatever it is that you've been praying for, what has God said about the situation? Because if God's word never fails, and when we go to pray, prayer isn't supposed to be one-sided with us just unloading everything to him, but it's also supposed to be a part, there's a listening aspect, there's a hearing, there's knowing what God is saying to us in every situation. So what has God said about this? Because God's word never fails. If God has spoken a certain outcome, if God has spoken that something's going to happen a certain way, then that's what we put our faith in. And when I say it was, what has God said, it's what has God said in his word. But God didn't stop speaking just because revelation ended. God continues to speak to us today, but all too often we don't have ears to hear. I think sometimes we're praying for something, we're praying for something to change, and God is very clearly speaking to us, God is very clearly leading us in a certain way, but we don't like the answer, and so we just kind of turn down the spiritual hearing aid. Whatever it is you're praying about, continue to pray. I'm not saying give up, I'm not saying that you just stop praying for it. Keep praying, keep believing, keep knowing that God is the God of the impossible. But actually turn, open your ears to hear what God is saying. 
Because maybe God wants you to pray differently. Or maybe God has already made a decision on it. And we just need to put our faith and our trust in God's decision and say, Okay, God, I trust that you know what's best. I trust that your wisdom is complete and full and that you see the full picture and that this is all for the good of what's going to happen. What has God said? Because whatever God has said is going to happen. Because what? Because God's word never fails. And I love Mary's response as we wrap up this passage. What does she say? She's like, I'm the Lord's servant. May whatever, may what you have just said come to pass. She hears it. She doesn't run from it. She doesn't reject it. She doesn't ask more questions. She's just like, okay, Gabriel, this is what you said. This is what's going to happen. You just reminded me that God's word never fails. I'm just going to be obedient. I'm just going to just go with the flow. I think this is the second part of of hearing what God has said is having the humility and the ability to just stop and obey. One of the interesting things I've shared before that I'm in a, a mentoring group called Church Renewal. And one of the first lessons we get is we get this list of 15 things we're supposed to be praying for ourselves. And pray for our leadership and pray for the other people in our group. And I love this group because all of them are way more experienced pastors than I am. And I just get to come and I just get to ask stupid questions and they get to teach me all those stupid things I don't know. And it's great. I'm better because of it. When they cancel, I cry because I just love this group so much. But of the 15 things, there's two that have always stood out to me as I've been praying. Well, a lot more than two, but two as I was thinking about it that apply today. And the first one is hearing God's voice. That we would increase in our sensitivity and our ability to hear God when he's speaking to us. The second one is the ability to obey. But the way we pray it is that, God, would you increase my fear of you so that it supersedes the fear of man? Because all too often when it comes to obeying what God is leading us to, what God is asking us to do, it's not inability. It's not a lack of faith, it's often a fear of what are, what's so-and-so going to say? What is my spouse going to say? What's the church going to say? What, what are my friends going to say? What's my boss going to say? What is, we just, and this fear of man just drowns out any ability for us to listen and obey. So, and so as I pray for myself, I've been praying for it, praying it for you all week that we would increase your ability to hear God's voice. As it talks about in John 10, that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd, that you would know the voice of your shepherd, that as he speaks to you and he leads and he guides, that you would know in your heart definitively who, when it is God speaking and when it is you or when it's... Because that's the confusion, right? I think it's me. Well, I want to know that I know the difference of what, when I'm thinking and when I'm speaking to myself and when God's speaking to me. But not just to have the sensitivity to hear God speak, but to also have the humility and the fear of the Lord in us that when God tells us to go, we don't question, we don't push back, we just go. We just obey. Because we know that God's word never fails and we know that God only has good things in store for us. So if God is asking us to do it and God is, this is all part of God's plan, then instead of pushing back, it's just going to go.